History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 318th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And I'm Kelly. On this episode, Kelly, we are going to be joined by Whitney Zahar, and she is going to share about Haunted Ashland, Virginia. Nice. I can't wait to hear. I know. I was so excited to find out that she'd started doing ghost tours in Ashland. And I said, well, we don't know much about that place. So why don't you come on and share it with us? Definitely. What an amazing opportunity. And Whitney's always a great guest. She's been on, I think this is her third time or something. So I believe so. Yeah. We love having her on. Before we get into that, though, we want to welcome some people into the Spooktacular crew. We want to welcome in Kelly, and that is with an I, Danny with one N, Christine with a K, Sarah with no H, and Ryan. Welcome, guys. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment Naughty was suggested by Jen Sullivan. Imagine working your fields one day as a farmer and making an incredible discovery. Not just some little artifact kicked up by a farming implement, but an entire village. That is just what happened to one Scottish farmer on the island of Orkney in 1850. He stumbled upon a large stone that didn't seem like it belonged with the landscape. He pushed the stone over, and when he did, he found what is now called Scarabray, a Neolithic village that existed probably over 5,000 years ago. That is amazing because it means that this place existed before Stone Edge and even the Egyptian pyramids. The farmer originally thought he had found a house, but as more was unearthed, there seemed to be an entire city buried here. Apparently, the village was covered over by sand dunes centuries ago, and this helped to preserve it. Scarabray is believed to be the best-preserved Neolithic settlement in Western Europe. The village was small, with probably only 100 residents. Historians were interested in the fact that only utility-type knives were found on the site with no weapons for warfare. The site has been named an UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are those who claim that the story that a farmer found the site is just a bit of lore, but I rather like it because it certainly makes the discovery a bit odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, this month in history. In the month of December, on the 1st in 1822, Dom Pedro I was crowned as the first emperor of Brazil. He was the founder of the Empire of Brazil and was nicknamed the Liberator. His father was king of Portugal, but in 1807 he fled with his family to the Portuguese colony of Brazil after French troops invaded Portugal. 
On his 24th birthday, Pedro was acclaimed as Emperor of Brazil and then officially crowned in December. Not all of Brazil recognized him as emperor, though, and he used force to bring these areas into submission. His father died in March of 1826, making him the successor to the throne in Portugal. He knew that the people of both countries would not accept him as ruler for both, so he abdicated the Portuguese crown to his daughter, Queen Dona Marie II. He added the condition to the arrangement that she would marry his brother Miguel. I'm not sure why, but this was a bad move because Miguel only pretended to go along with everything. And once he was declared regent in 1828, he didn't marry Pedro's daughter. He repealed the constitution and was acclaimed King Don Miguel I. This was all backed by all of Pedro's sisters, save one, so the betrayal he felt was immense. He was not a good guy at this point, though, either. He had a string of lovers settling on one and moving her in to play lady-in-waiting to his wife. He mistreated his wife horribly, and she eventually died either from a miscarriage or a beating. Pedro would later claim to see the ghost of his dead wife, and vowed to become a better person because of this. And he did just that, remarrying and being faithful. He eventually contracted tuberculosis and died in September of 1834. His heart was placed in Porto's Lapa Church, and his body was interred in the royal pantheon of the House of Braganza. Richmond, Virginia had been the capital of the Confederacy, so one can imagine that the towns around it would be strategic locations for gathering supplies and protection. Ashland is one of these towns, and the railroad was a major part of the city. The railroad company established the town with a spa hotel that hosted visitors to the curative powers of a natural spring. This location would go on to become a college. As the Civil War erupted, Ashland found itself a host of battles and the wounded. With this kind of history... Hauntings are sure to follow. Listener and executive producer Whitney Zahar has joined us on other episodes, and she joins us on this one to share her experiences as a tour guide for Ashland Ghost Tours. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of Ashland, Virginia. Hey, Whitney, how are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to hear from you again. Uh, What is this, uh, the third episode we've done together? I know, right? This is becoming a thing, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It is. But you know, when we get results like we did with the fairy plantation, where we hear back from somebody who works there that we did an amazing job, it's worth it. I know that was such a surprise. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you too, because you have gotten yourself into a new endeavor here. You are guiding ghost tours now. Oh my God, Diane, I have gone from one busy season to another. (laughs) I thought, you know, once Halloween is over, it's going to slow down for Whitney, but now you're doing this Victorian ghost thing with it. Yeah, I really have to credit my boss, who is awesome. This whole thing with, and honestly, the way this whole thing really started is I got involved at a haunted house attraction. What, were you playing a zombie? Kind of. (laughs) Actually, it was kind of a ghoulish librarian. And then I just got involved with this group because it's such a big hearted group of people who are artistic and brilliant and terrifying in the best ways. And they have expanded their businesses. They still have the haunted house attraction. And in fact, we do a uh, Christmas haunt. We're doing it two nights this uh, December. Richmond is really cool in which it does this Krampus festival. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's going to be going on this weekend. 
So the Krampus Festival is going on, and it's also, not only do we have a Krampus walk, but there's also art uh, gallery openings and all sorts of cool things going on. And then December 13th and 14th, oh, Friday the 13th. (laughs) There's been a lot of Friday the 13th this year, I've noticed. (laughs) There has been. Yeah. So Friday, December 13th, and Saturday, December 14th, Red Vane, that's the name of the company, Red Vane is opening their haunt for those two nights, and it's a Christmas-themed haunt where you will meet Krampus, among others. And then the weekend after that, we have the Victorian Christmas Ghost Tour. That just sounds like so much fun. And I love that you guys are embracing the whole Victorian tradition of telling ghost stories at Christmas time. That is the whole idea. And it's totally a tradition that needs to come back. Yeah, I know that's one thing that I've always tried to make sure we do is on Christmas Eve, because usually my folks are out of town because they go back to see the grandkids. So I'm kind of on my own. And so I've made that a tradition is to go live with everybody and just tell them some ghost stories on that night if they want to join me. Yeah, it's just fantastic. So we're doing the ghost tour on December 20th. And on December 21st, which is, of course, Yule, the shortest night, from everything I've seen in the weather report, it's not going to be really cold. Fingers crossed on that one. We basically are now, this is our second tour route. Uh, We do have a usual ghost tour route, which we piloted this past uh, season. And now we're going to be offering this second route. And we are also open for private tours and private groups. Well, Whitney, I have never even heard of the town of Ashland. So, of course, I would love for you to tell everybody a little bit about it. Yes, absolutely. I have known about Ashland for a while. I have a slight connection to it. So I'll give you a basic history. Ashland was originally incorporated in the year in the 1850s. I believe 1858 was the year. It is part of uh, the greater Hanover County in Virginia. Now, Hanover County is kind of nowadays it's being marketed as part of the greater Richmond area. So you've got the city of Richmond, which is, of course, our capital. And then outside, you have these major counties, including Hanover County, Henrico County, which is where I live, Chesterfield County, and Powhatan County. So this is a pretty big area. The town of Ashland is about 16 miles north of the city of Richmond. Okay. And it's pretty easy to get to. You can either hop on I-95 North and just rock it straight up, or you can go another route, Route 1 North, and just go straight up that way. From where I live, it takes me about 13 minutes to get to Ashland. Very cool. Does does it have like a little downtown area that has old historic buildings in it, that kind of thing? Absolutely. It is so cute. And you know what? It just occurred to me, there's just so much... I know you've heard of Alton, Illinois, and Atchison, Kansas, and now Ashland, Virginia. Have you noticed that they all start with A? These towns that have so much to offer, not just culturally and academically, but also maybe hauntingly as well. The A's have it. The A's have it. Not to say that Ashland is on the par of Alton, Illinois, or Atchison, Kansas, but Ashland uh, does have a lot going for it. For one thing, one of the big attractions with Ashland is the fact that the railroad played a huge part in the development and the growth of the town. 
their main railroad company that went through that originally laid tracks was the Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Potomac Railroad Company. And what they did too, in addition to laying tracks, they were also drawing interest into the natural mineral springs that are surrounding the town. Mm, That's interesting too. So they're building a resort. Now, Ashland is not the original name of the town. Originally, uh, we're talking about the 1840s, pre-Civil War. The 1840s, it was more of a resort village uh, called Slash Cottage. Slash is a very interesting word. Uh, We're not talking about, you know, slashing or anything like that. We're talking about during a hard rain, the water can actually create these ravines in in the soil. Oh, okay. And that's where slash comes from. Other people say it's kind of a romantic word for swamp or marshland. Uh, Slash Cottage was the name of the main resort. And it was basically a 17 cottage Resort. It included not just accommodations, but also a ballroom, bathhouses, even a gas house. The railroad, of course, provided a great deal of growth and traffic. So fast forward past the Civil War, and I'm sure, as everybody knows who not just listens to the show, the Civil War devastated a lot of areas, especially in the South. And Ashland was one of those areas that was hit particularly hard. In fact, at least several of the buildings were used as hospitals during the Civil War. Actually, we talk about two of them on the ghost tour. After that, in 1868, the town received a bit of a boom because a college, Randolph-Macon College, relocated its campus to Ashland in 1868. It's an, it, at the time, it was an all-male school. It was a Methodist college. And because of that, and also because of the continuing project of the railroad, Ashland did experience a great deal of revitalization. If you follow the track, the track is basically a straight shot right through downtown. It will take you past uh, these beautiful 19th and early 20th century houses, the kind that we Victorian lovers just adore. Oh, very cool. Oh, yes. And I will tell you that Ashland is one of those towns that truly appreciates the seasons. During Halloween, my son and I went trick-or-treating up and down that street. We went and we stopped at all those old Victorian houses for trick-or-treat, and it was amazing. <laughs> so they handed out the good candy, too. Oh, they handed out great candy. <laughs> <laughs> there, they, and there was music, and it was basically a huge street party. So Ashland, again, it was officially incorporated as a town in 1858. And it's just continued to grow ever since. Now, did Um, they change the name to Ashland at that time when it incorporated or was it before that? Yeah, actually, around that time, they did change the name officially to Ashland. One of the most famous uh, senators of the United States was Henry Clay. He was not born in Ashland, but he was born somewhere in that area. Uh, I believe it was called Clay Springs. And his estate in Kentucky was called Ashland. So the town adopted that name. Oh, okay. Very interesting. (laughs) I know. A lot of people are like, was Henry Clay born here? And it's like, no, he wasn't born in the town. He was born 
outside the town in Clay Springs. And another big thing about Ashland was a race was there's a big equestrian tradition over there too. One of the things that the railroad company also built was a race course. Um, I'm not sure how far outside of town it is, and I'm not actually sure if it's still standing, but there was a race course just outside of town. Now, during the Civil War, it was also used as a Confederate cadet training area. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Stonewall Jackson actually has the reputation of being in that area. And that actually ties into one of the sites on the ghost tour and one of the proposed hauntings. So when you do the tour, about how long, is it like a mile long walk that you do, something like that? We clock the tour at about, it's supposed to be an hour, but we give it a wiggle room for an hour and 15 minutes. So I would say it is about a mile and it is relatively flat terrain, but we do caution our visitors to just watch their step. Uh, We do cross the railroad tracks a couple of times, which actually is quite thrilling. The train station that's there, the Ashland Train Depot, is an Amtrak stop. They don't sell tickets there, but the trains actually do come and stop. People do get off there and get on there, but it's not a selling station. The original station was built in 1866, and it was rebuilt in 1890. And the station actually closed briefly in 1967, but it reopened in 1985. Okay, very cool. So it's got a long life there. It does. Uh, Now, as of 2019, it actually, it is going on right now. It is being renovated to comply with um, ADA requirements because up until this point, it was not. Oh, gotcha. Now, here's another interesting thing about the uh, station is it was racially segregated. It did have separate waiting areas for whites and blacks. And if you look at the train state, the train depot, it is perfectly symmetrical when you're looking at it head on. The former black waiting room is now being used is now used as a museum. It does have uh, model trains. It has a bench. Uh, It has the railroad artifacts from the Richmond Fredericksburg Potomac Railroad Company, but it was served by a single ticket booth at the time in the center of the building. It just had racially segregated waiting rooms. Gotcha. Which, of course, that that also is addressed on our ghost tour. Well, and I think it's a good educational point to make, too, because a lot of uh, younger people would not be aware of that kind of thing. And that's a great point to also bring up because now we have a lot of people that have been taking our tour have been locals, but even they don't have a real set foundation of their town's history. So for us, our, our ghost tour is a gateway to history about the town. Well, and that's why we love ghost tours, isn't it? Because it's such a great way to teach people the history and give them something interesting to go with it. And I was so thrilled when um, my people, when the people at Red Vane, because what brought them to Ashland initially, we they, Red Vane has had a pretty good long tradition of being in Richmond. In fact, Red Vane Army or RVA, it's an abbreviation for Richmond, Virginia. And what they do is they pull in a lot of Richmond and area folklore and history to create storylines for the haunt which is really cool. But this past year, Red Vane opened an escape room that's open year round in downtown Ashland. We are right there at the railroad tracks. 
as of this recording, Red Vane does have an escape adventure right now. It's based on the story of the Richmond Vampire, which is based on the all-too-tragic story of the Churchill Tunnel Collapse in 1925. But there is going to be other games added, and the uh, Ashland Haunted History Tour starts at the Red Vane Escape Room and goes out from there. I guess, why don't you start by telling us one of the first stops that you would hit on the tour? So the regular tour, one of the first stops is the Trackside Grill. And this is literally a block or so away from the escape room. So we are right there. The main road where the track is is called Center Street, appropriately enough. (laughs) At the Trackside Grill, now you would think it was called the Trackside Grill because it's right by the railroad tracks. But it's not. It's actually named for the race course that was built just outside of town. Now, the Trackside Grill has served various incarnations. It has been several other restaurants. It has been a supply store. It's also been a fitness center. But in 1927, it was a movie theater. And in fact, when you are in the front dining room, the main dining area, if you look over the front door, you can see the narrow window of the projectionist booth. Now that is very cool. It is very cool. Now it was, again, it was opened by the Covington family who have a connection of stop on air Victorian ghost tour, which I'll add as a connection in a little bit. They had this theater going. Now, when segregation was going on in come the 1940s, in 1948, the Covington family opened another movie theater, and it is the big Ashland Theater. And it has that beautiful art deco, neon lights, and all that stuff going on. Now, Ashland Theater was built to service the whites, and where the Trackside Grill is, that was open for the African Americans. Oh, interesting. But there was this guy who would ride his bicycle back and forth between both movie theaters with the same film reel. So that way, everybody got to see the same movie. Well, at least they took care of them in that regard. You can't sit yeah, in the same was, place, yeah, but you can see the same Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, when I was doing some of the research on the Ashland Theater, because that's going to be part of the Victorian Ghost Tour, on the website, they have this beautiful video. And the lady, one of the women that's interviewed, that was her father that was riding back and forth on his bicycle between both theaters. Oh, neat. Yeah. Well, anyway, the Trackside Grill... That actually might, because of the African-American population being there, one of the apparitions that someone has uh, witnessed is of an African-American woman dressed in white. Oh, Now, we don't know who she is, but a paranormal investigation group, and this is a local group, and I'm going to be mentioning quite a bit. They're called Transcend Paranormal, and... I've since become friends with pretty much all of them. They are awesome people. They did an investigation in the trackside grill and they have caught EVPs. There's been footsteps and all sorts of other things going on. But the main thing that seems to happen, this whoever the ghosts are, they are very interested in the female staff in the restaurant. Hmm. And the female staff is actually a little uncomfortable closing alone because somebody will walk past them behind them and they may hear somebody whisper their names in their ears. 
That would be a little unsettling. But of course, when you start saying that they mess with the (laughs) girls, I I wonder if they're getting like, um, you know, a little pinch on a certain part of their body. I have not heard anything about that, but I will say this, Diane, um, on my last tour of the season with the regular ghost tour, one of the managers from the Trackside Grill was on my tour and she confirmed pretty much everything I said. And she even said that there are events continuing to happen with the most recent phenomenon being a couple of months ago. Wow, that's very cool that you have something so recent happening. Yeah, and I do know that they were doing something in the bathroom, uh, some renovation work, and they have been hearing lots of noises. So it seems like something is definitely going on at the track side. Something is talking. Something wants to communicate. Now, again, the connection, jumping over to the Ashland Theater. Now, the Ashland Theater, by contrast, it was closed down for a long time, like 20 or more years I actually got accepted at Randolph-Macon College back in the 90s. I ended up not going because it's a private university and it's expensive. I was just going to say, meaning expensive. It's very expensive, but it's a wonderful school and definitely has its fair share of stories. That theater was shut down for a very long time. It recently reopened revitalized, renovated everything about 2018. And already there have been reports of an apparition being sighted in the balcony where nobody is supposed to be. So stay tuned. There may be additional tales coming out of that place. This is a really cool looking theater. I'm looking at it online and it has these glorious neon lights going all the way up the outside of it. It's got the marquee out in the front. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. It is absolutely beautiful. The cool thing about the Victorian Ghost Tour is we're going in the opposite direction. So we're going to be touching on sites that you won't get to see on the regular tour. Oh, very cool. I am going to go a little further down Center Street, and I am going to stop at a house. Now, this house is a private residence, but it is on the National Register of Historic Places, which is pretty cool. This house is known as the McMurdo House. And funny enough, the McMurdo House is on the corner of Center and McMurdo Street. But McMurdo was also the name of the family that built the house. C.W. McMurdo was the treasurer of the Richmond Fredericksburg Potomac Railroad Company. In fact, a lot of the houses, I'm not sure exactly how many, but quite a few of the houses did belong to people that were affiliated with the railroad, which makes perfect sense, right? Sure. Anyway, uh, C.W. McMurdo lived in that house with, from what I was told, several generations of his family, including his son and his wife and his family. But there were other families that lived in the house in subsequent years. One of the cool stories about the McMurdo house is in 1862, uh, Stonewall Jackson came and actually was entertained at that house. Dinner sitting around in conversation. And then he went back to the uh, Confederate cadet uh, camp on the race course to take his men to march for the seven days battles. And again, the Civil War, it was so many places, but definitely in Virginia, pretty much everywhere you go, especially in central Virginia, you will run into some kind of battlefield. And that's a wonderful thing as far as I'm concerned. It is. I can't wait. In fact, I hear rumor I'm going to be investigating a battlefield soon. Oh, yay. Anyway, 
Anyway, now the McMurdo house, I know a lot about it because somebody in Transcend Paranormal used to live there. Oh, interesting. Yes. He does not live there anymore. I don't know much about the current residents, although I did stop at their house uh, trick-or-treating with my son, <laughs> which was pretty cool. And I do know that they know that we're out there giving the tour and talking about it. The member of the uh, investigation team who lived there for quite some time definitely had more than his fair share of experiences, and he shared those with us on the tour. One cool thing that he did was he was able to connect the smell of good cigars or good pipe smoke. Mm -hmm. He was able to connect the smell that he was experiencing in the house with a former resident. He spoke to the daughter of this particular family, and it turned out her father liked to smoke. And not only did he die in the house, he was also, they also had his wake in the house. Okay. So he's definitely got the connection there. Connection there. Another experience, and this kind of harkens back to the Civil War. After Stonewall Jackson visited the house, and once the fight, once everything had really kicked off in the Civil War, uh, the McMurdo House became used as a hospital. Okay. One young lady who came to visit the house with her mother and was talking to the wife that was living there, she looks up and says, hey, mama, I see boots on the second floor landing. The thing was, uh, nobody else saw the boots. <laughs> but, you know, children, they, they, they experience things. That's just a couple of the many, 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 many stories that you can hear about the McMurdo house. It's a beautiful little example of pre-Civil War architecture. Like I said, it is on the National Register of Historic Places. They have the plaque right outside, and it's really cool to see that. Well, that's so neat. I love it when they have the plaques on the houses. And in some places, you know, they even put a little bit of extra in there, like who was the original owner and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So who knows who's still lurking around there. But I definitely can tell you the Civil War... I mean, especially with the train, you can just imagine train pulling in supplies. And I mean, not so far away was Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. So Ashland was a pretty strategic area. I mean, this whole area was very strategic for the Confederacy. But you can also imagine trains full with soldiers who were wounded and dying or even dead being brought through. I mean, it must have been quite a sight to see in so many ways. Exactly. So that actually brings me to my absolute favorite location. And I have to talk about this. (laughs) There is another building. So as you go back towards downtown. You get to this beautiful building. You have to look down this avenue of trees and you see this little building that has a big red front door and it looks like a church. That's because it was once a church. In fact, it was the first Baptist church of Ashland circa 1859. And About a year or so after the church was built, it immediately became a hospital for the Civil War. And it is now known as the Hanover Arts and Activity Center. This is the coolest building ever. I I love this building not just because of what it does with art and education, but also because of the investigation you can do there. I think it's haunted at your place, Whitney. I'm hearing footsteps. (laughs) 
That is my son. My house is haunted by my nine-year-old son. <laughs> he's got a heavy foot. I think he got mad about something, but he's okay. Okay. He's <laughs> stopping around. Anyway, back to the Hanover Arts and Activity Center. Today, you can go there and take art classes, their performances. It's very active in the community. And they even do weddings and receptions there. It's really, it's really a beautiful space. But when you enter the front room, which was once the main sanctuary, and now it's the main front hall, they have actually two wooden floors. They put another wooden floor over the original wood floor. Did they have because a Because it's it? stained with blood. Oh, no. I was like, if she says it's stained with blood. Oh, yeah. It's blood stained. And in fact, that's one of my, uh, that's my closing statement on the tour. I tell them, yes, you're going to experience so much in here. Yes, you can have weddings and parties and events here. Just remember, you're walking on blood. (laughs) Which is true. (laughs) You are an evil woman. Yes, I am. But that's why you guys love me so much. (laughs) Transcend Paranormal, they go to the Hanover Arts and Activity Center frequently. This is one of their big stops. And I just want to take a moment to say that Transcend Paranormal, it does these events every year where they do public investigations and all the money that they uh, get through ticket sales and everything, every cent of it goes to the historic organizations that host the event. So they have raised a few thousand dollars for the Hanover Arts and Activity Center. That's so cool. Yeah, for preservation, for everything. Basically, that site is one of those places where you can just put out the equipment and just let it run because you will catch something. There's footsteps, there's EVPs down in the basement, which is used as a classroom space. There's somebody down there that likes to play with the K2 meter and, you know, the laser grid devices Mm -hmm. where you can catch shadows. They mess around with that. They talk. You can use dousing rods there. You're going to get responses. It's an incredibly active site. And, you know, considering the history of it, it's unbelievable. So the Randolph-Macon College, how close is that to the downtown area of Ashland? Right there. Um, So if you see the train depot, you continue following the tracks and it is right there on the right hand side of the street. That's where campus starts. It's a pretty good sized campus. Um, It's a small college. It's a liberal arts Methodist and again, a private college, but it's a beautiful campus. And when, like I said, originally Randolph-Macon was established in another town called Boyton in Virginia in 1830. And then in 1868, the campus relocated to Ashland. There is a statue in front of it of this guy called George Morgan Jones. I guess he was a Confederate soldier. The thing that I had heard about it is that I guess the statue, he's brandishing a sword. And Mm -hmm. now it makes perfect sense to me because when I first saw this, I was like, well, that's kind of extreme. But since you said this is a Methodist private college... They tell freshmen that if a student is not a virgin and they stand in front of this statue, that the statue will lift its sword and cut off their head. Dun, dun, dun. You know what? (laughs) There is a similar legend about the school I actually attended, which is called Longwood, and it's in Farmville, Virginia. There is a Civil War soldier. I don't know who it is, but there's a statue of a soldier 
it's off campus, but it's like across the street. And apparently if his shadow does not show up on the building, it means disaster will come to the town. Oh, wow. Yeah. The one thing I love about these college campuses is, especially these old ones, is there's so much cool ghost lore that you can hear about. I mean, it's amazing how loaded these places can be with those stories. Yeah, and you got, but then you got to wonder where is it all coming from? Is it coming from, I mean, is it coming from college students that may have had a little too much to drink? (laughs) Or, and also, if you think about it, college is a time of great anxiety for young people. I mean, you're still a teenager when you basically go to college and your life is just beginning and you're exposed to all this freedom and responsibility at the same time that you have to manage for yourself. Nobody else is really going to do it for you. You know, Whitney, we remember those days, don't we? I do, actually. (laughs) I do. (laughs) I do, too. I was very homesick. But anyway, yeah, Randolph-Macon is really beautiful. Sometimes it's just worth it to just walk around the campus. Now, the ghost tour only touches on small areas because again we are by that point we're getting towards the end of the tour so we do want to make sure that we round it out pretty well but we are going to go back to randolph macon during the um victorian ghost walk too but i kind of want to touch on the one on the regular tour so there's this building you see it right on the corner it actually has these s's it what looks like an s on the top part it's called washington franklin hall Okay. And that building the was actually was built in 1872 and completely by student funds, which I love. The students raised the money to get that building done. Washington Franklin Hall or Wash Frank as the kids like to call it. Wash Frank was used as a uh, the space for uh, literary societies and for debate societies. Uh, nowadays it's also the home of the history department. And one of the stories that we tell is in the uh, Ashland Museum newsletter, there's actually a recounting from a professor of history at the college about an experience he had. And you know, if it's a professor, that it's probably a lot more believable because they're not going to be real prone to want to tell that they've had an experience. Exactly. I'm actually, again, that that always amazes me when you hear professionals of that caliber, uh, professors, law enforcement officers, people like that who tell these stories. I mean, they can face such ridicule, but their authority figure just lends credence to maybe there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Anyway, but This one, basically, he kept getting the sensation that there was someone there in the building with him. But it was like one of those feelings like you feel like you should see someone if you go around the corner, but you don't. And he did finally see a manifestation, but it was very weak. It was like manifested like a misty gray arch, which probably means it didn't have a whole lot of strength. Mm -hmm. But he consulted a psychic and the psychic told him that this was an old man who wanted to attend Randolph-Macon when he was young, but was never able to do so. So he's probably haunting the place where he most wanted to be. Sure, he's there now. Yeah, there you go. There's other stories there. There's a fraternity houses. This is one of the schools that definitely has some fraternity row. And uh, some of those houses, there's one in particular that has 
some wild stories, including Civil War soldiers that manifest from the waist up. Oh, weird. Yeah. Now, I'll leave people to think why that's going on. (laughs) The fun thing about giving ghost tours is you leave a lot for people to draw their own conclusions. Sure. Do you ever have people on the tour ask you, hey, what's a ghost or what do you think is a ghost? I have. And the cool thing about my tour is we're not exactly ourselves when we're giving the tour. We are personas. We're not characters. We're more like personas. And my persona is, for one thing, we dress in train conductor uniforms, which is pretty cool. That is neat. (laughs) And my persona, I call myself a quasi-immortal being. Okay. Kind of like, I like to think of us as kind of like revenants. Perfect. Yes. So we're flesh and blood, and we've seen a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And being someone who is been prevailed upon, shall we say, to carry the lantern, to ferry people back and forth around the tracks. That kind of lets gives you plenty of time to think about the nature of life and death and the afterlife. And I have told people many things. I've told them, you know, my favorite thing is that ghosts are history that just want to be heard. I mean, I I really do hold that. And one thing I love about with what working with Transcend Paranormal, not just as a guest, but also kind of walking in and being friends with them is they really care about, it's not just a passion for the paranormal, it's a passion for history and a passion for bringing attention to sites that you normally wouldn't see or that normally don't get the love and the support. While we try to tell a lot of stories that are based on what we've heard from residents and from business owners in Ashland, the the Christmas uh, tour is going to be a little bit different. We are still going to tell some real life stories, but we're also going to kind of tie in a couple of Victorian ghost stories. Uh, One of them is going to be The Body Snatcher by Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh, perfect. Yes, uh, because one of the stops on the tour used to be a funeral home and now is a dance school. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they have anything interesting they find in there on the dance floor. Not that I have heard of, but it is it is interesting history. Um, It's the funeral home was started in 1878. And actually, it was the daughter of the man who started the funeral home. She went into business in the 1920s with some other people and and continued running a funeral business. But yeah, we tell the body snatcher there or a summarized version of it because we are in a time crunch. (laughs) In one of the other places, and this is a place that we use on both tours, it's a beautiful building called the Henry Clay Inn. It's located right behind the uh, train station. And that's had a very interesting history. But uh, we're going to there's going to be someone there that's going to tell the we think is going to tell the story called the signal man. Oh, that's a good one by Charles Dickens. Yep. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Now I want to be in Virginia for Christmas. I keep trying to get you to come up here. You and Kelly both. (laughs) I know. But you know that that cold thing you were talking about? (laughs) (laughs) it's not that okay well it might be a little cold it's it's a wet cold it's a humidity thing Uh (laughs) 
Now, I'm not exactly sure when our regular tour season will start up again in 2020, but when we were initially getting the tour ready, we started giving some tours as early as August. Okay. We're also open for people to reserve private groups. So if you have a group of six or, hey, even if you talk to us nicely and say, hey, we have four people, we can do a private tour. That's very cool. You guys normally do what, Fridays and Saturday nights? Normally Fridays and Saturdays, yes. With the regular tour, it's at 7 p.m. And then we give another one at 9 p.m. And can people just get tickets on the website or something? Yep, absolutely. HauntedAshland.com. HauntedAshland.com. Very cool. It's a pretty bare bones website, but look for it to continue to grow over time. And again, I not just do I want to give a shout out to all my friends at Transcend Paranormal because with them, I've also done some other investigations with them in and around the Richmond area. There's more to come. And I've had some pretty interesting experiences with a lot of them. Big shout out to Transcend Paranormal and the founder, Steve Dills, is amazing. And I also want to give a shout out to my friends at Red Vane, uh, especially Kitty Barnes, who is their chief operating officer and manager of Red Vane Escape Room. And she was the one that tapped me to be the leader for the ghost tour. Well, she picked a good person for it. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Some quick background. Um, Ashland Haunted History Tour was around before Red Vane got a hold of it. Uh, there was a guy named Arthur Brill, who was the first person who ran the Ashland Haunted History Tour. And we borrowed from his original script and he gave us license to research and revamp as we saw fit. So shout out to Arthur Brill. We're running with it and hopefully we'll continue to run strong for a while. Whitney, I want to thank you not only for joining me on this episode and suggesting it, but you've joined me on other episodes. You've helped me with research and you, of course, are an executive producer of the podcast. So I'm just very appreciative of you. Well, I'm appreciative of you guys. You're bringing more to focus and you've been doing this for the last few years. You just bring to focus how much history really does. It's what it's it's what's at the core of the paranormal and with the human experience and giving and sharing stories. And the more we have people like you and so many other people I can think of that do that, I think we might continue to raise awareness about all these historic sites that need help and need love and people to just come and enjoy them for their own sake. Exactly, because we don't want to lose them and, and see them get demolished and that kind of thing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Whitney, for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to have been a part of this, Diane. Happy holidays. Happy Yule. Happy Krampus and all that wonderful stuff to you and to Kelly and to your dogs and to everybody. Well, same to you and your family. And uh, tell Preston boo for me. He'll probably say boo back. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Kelly, you were not able to join us for the interview because you have crazy working hours. What did you think about what Winnie had to share? I definitely thought it was incredible. I really had the desire to go right up there to Virginia and take part of some of those ghost tours and definitely see the area. 
Well, we're definitely going to have to put that on the calendar eventually. Absolutely. Now, the place that she was talking about, Hanover, this area has a whole bunch of haunted locations, especially since Richmond is basically the heart of it. L.B. Taylor Jr. has written numerous volumes in his The Ghosts of Virginia book series, and we wanted to share this poignant story that he shares in Volume 8 that is from Hanover. Nice. This is entitled The Lonely Grave in the Rose Garden. Late in the afternoon of the first day of July, 1864, we reached the picturesque town of Hanover. Near the crossroads were lying the bloated carcasses of half a dozen cavalry horses, evidently slain in a brief skirmish between Pleasanton's and Jeb Stewart's troops a few hours before our arrival. Close to the road, near the scene of the cavalry fight, stood a farmhouse, at the gate of which was an old-fashioned pump and horse trough. The pump handle was in constant motion as the weary, foot-sore soldiers flocked around it to quench their thirst, with the delicious water that flowed into the mossy trough. Coming up and waiting for my turn to drink, I noticed a sunburnt, gray-haired man leaning over his rude gate, watching the troops. He was dressed in a faded, well-worn suit of homespun, having no doubt spent the day in the hayfield, and I could see that he was pleased that his pump was doing such good service. "'Good evening, sir,' said I to him, removing my cap and mopping the perspiration from my face." It's rather hot weather, this, for marching. I suppose tis, though I never did any marching, was his brief response. As the old farmer uttered the words, he moved a little, and my eye was attracted by a new-made grave among a clump of rose bushes just inside the fence. Wondering at the sight, I ventured to ask the reason for its being there. Whose grave is that? said I, pointing to the mound of fresh earth. A reb's, he replied laconically. One that got killed in a fight the horsemen had here today. Indeed. And so you buried him? Yes, buried him myself. They left him lying in the road out there just as he fell. I could do no less, you know. Of course, but why did you make your rose garden a graveyard? Well, it was the women that wanted it so. You see, stranger, and the old man's voice trembled and grew husky. You see, I had a boy once. He went out with the Pennsylvania Reserves and fought along with McClellan down there among them Chickamauga swamps, and one day a letter come. It was written by a woman, and she told us how a battle had been fought near her house, while she and another woman lay hid all day in the cellar. When the battle was over, them women came out, so they digged a grave in the soft earth of the garden, and buried my boy right amongst their flowers, for the sake of the mother, who would never see him again. So when I saw that poor rebel laying out there, all dead and bloody, in the dust of the road, I said, I'd bury him. And the gals, they said, yes, father, bury him among the rose trees. That's why I did it, stranger. Then the poor old father's voice was choked by a smothered sob. Indeed, sir, I said, feeling my own throat tighten over the sweet pathos of the little story. I can appreciate the love you bear your dead son. It must be some consolation to remember what you've done for the man whose body lies there under the bushes. Yes, stranger, that there grave. It ain't much, but it will be something to remember our Johnny by. My eyes dimmed with tears, but my spirit strangely strengthened by this touching instance of human love and forgiveness. So that wasn't a ghost story, but I just thought it was a really cool story that came out of that region about basically a father was like, people took it upon themselves to bury my boy, so I'm doing the same. Yeah, definitely. Very touching. Very kind. And I love how you tried to read it in the old man's vernacular. The Natural Springs in Ashland led the railroad company to build Slash Cottage. What an amazing name to have for a location. I know. And the origination of the name is not what you would think. No. When she first said Slash Cottage to me, I was like, ooh, that sounds like a haunted house attraction. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
And then Randolph-Macon College takes over the property. That story that she told about the soldiers from the waist up is so weird. I would like to believe they're just having some kind of issue manifesting themselves. Yeah, possibly. What do you think? I mean, because they were saying that the floor was originally lower. So I don't know if perhaps that plays into it. I wasn't sure these men who've had both of their legs amputated. Ghosts without pants. Oh, boy. We don't want to see any of that. (laughs) Does make you wonder if they don't have clothes on, can we see them? Oh, goodness. That's one hide thing. my eyes, hide my eyes. That's one thing you don't hear a lot about is seeing naked ghosts. <laughs> no, thank, thank goodness. goodness. They, thank goodness there's clothes in the afterlife. Oh, my word. Now, there's a lot of legends connected to the college. I mentioned the statue, but then there's another one that says that if students cross the garden rather than using the pathway, they'll never graduate or marry. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. So stick to the path. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess it's better than being beheaded. That's true, for not being a virgin. (laughs) For not being a virgin. (laughs) The West Dating Parlor, people report seeing the ghost of an elderly woman, and she vanishes whenever somebody approaches her. And when the school first opened, this parlor was where male students would wait for their dates. That's why it was called the West Dating Parlor. During World War II, a girl supposedly could suicide in the parlor after learning that her boyfriend had died in a battle. Oh, how sad. Yeah, so she was apparently devastated. I'm not quite sure if that's just a bit of ghost lore or if it's true. They also say that there's been several murders and mysterious deaths on the campus, which, I don't know, a lot of college campuses aren't known for having a whole lot of murders on them. Maybe not that I'm aware of. Deaths from suicide or overdose or something like that. Yeah, something along those lines. In 1973, there was a freshman there. Her name was Cynthia Louise Hellman, and supposedly a guy named Stanley Hope Smith killed her. She was crossing a street to get back to her dormitory, and at some point he must have kidnapped her. Her body was discovered near the school science building by a university guard. Because that happened, supposedly her ghost is seen in that general area running. Sometimes they'll hear her screaming. It sounds to me like it's more of a residual thing where she's running away from this guy who's trying to hurt her in some way. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. So they got a lot of stuff going on on that campus. But, you know, we found a lot of universities are quite haunted. Lots of activity. And then that Washington Frank Hall that she mentioned, there are people who say that they've seen ghosts in there in turn-of-the-century clothes wandering about the various rooms. Good old Wash Frank. Yeah, Wash Frank. (laughs) It's got some crazy stuff going on. Now, you had mentioned to me that you were kind of looking at Hanover County because it is reputedly so haunted to see if there were some other things that were located near this. And you mentioned the Mill House, Mills House. There was one, uh, the Mills House, and that's eight miles away from Ashland. Okay, so a little bit of a jaunt if you're walking, but not that far in a car. (laughs) I would probably jump in a car. Or onto a horse or, you know, whatever. (laughs) Whatever (laughs) means I need it. She's going to ride a horse to go find some ghosts. This Mills house dates back to the 1790s. It's in Beaver Dam. This is right off of Route 54. It's a two-story framed house, and it's got a metal roof like what we would see down here. It is named for its last known occupant, who was a farmer who went by the name Buster. And, of course, his last name was Mills. 
His father was Richmond L. Mills. He had purchased the property in the early 1900s. So this house had stood there for quite a while until these guys bought it. They turned the home into a popular bed and breakfast. And there was also a farm right there and a country store. So Buster grows up in this house and he would tell people all about the haints that they would have there at this bed and breakfast. And as we know, in the South, a lot of the time they call the spirits haints. And it seems like most of them were in this front room. Yeah, I think uh, there were several locals that saw apparitions of a woman in an old-fashioned nightgown. And supposedly they felt a lot of cold spots as well. Okay. So Buster actually lived there until he died of a stroke in 1989. And then the house was just abandoned. Right. And then I guess in January of 2014, a fire broke out and destroyed it. And several of the locals, I guess seemed to think that a ghost started the fire, but others reported that it was accidentally set by folks who were exploring. So maybe they were investigating the house. Well, I've seen pictures of the inside of it, and there's a lot of graffiti and, Uh, we know, abandoned house. Squatters or people partying or whatever. Probably some teenagers partying or something, and they ended up starting a fire and burned it to the ground. Yeah, I hate it when historical locations come to ends like that. Yeah, so that location is obviously no longer there anymore, but definitely interesting. There's all kinds of ghostly things going on in that general vicinity. And I mean, not too far up the road is Colonial Williamsburg, which we definitely want to check out. Absolutely. I can't wait to go to Williamsburg. I do want to go around Christmas season, too, because I've heard it's just so beautiful. Oh, so can you imagine? buy a parka. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to have to because I can't imagine what that looks like all done up for Christmas. It's supposed to be really beautiful. Natural boughs and garland and white lights. It's just supposed to be gorgeous. And of course, you can't beat the history. So Kelly, it sounds like there's a lot of ghosts in haunted Ashland. Is it haunted? That, that is for, for you to, to decide. decide. <laughs> well, definitely a place to add to our list. And of course, Whitney is always a wonderful guest to have on. So and sounds like she's checking out some other places and doing some ghost hunts. So maybe we'll have her back for something else in the future. Definitely. Maybe we can get an investigation or two in there when we do visit. Yes, definitely. We'll have to see if there's any places we can get them for overnight. Want to encourage everybody to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And I did get an email from Kathy. She is from Down Under, Kelly. And boy, did she have some stories to share with us. So let's go put some shrimp on the bobby and tell me all about it. (laughs) I think you switched into a southern accent there. (laughs) You went from Australian to southern. I guess it goes well since we were talking about it. Y'all put some shrimp on the barbie now. (laughs) There you go. That's much better. I'm terrible. Uh, This is Kathy. She says, I've listened to your podcast for many years now, and I love them. I especially love how you've done episodes on Australia. If you come to Sydney, Australia, I'd love to join one of your listener meetups. Well, if you ever manage to wrangle me onto a plane for that long, then yeah, we'll definitely be doing several meetups there for sure. Have a couple of beers on hand (laughs) to get you through the flight. (laughs) I'm going to have to have a couple before I get on, knock me out or something. Oh my goodness. She said that she'd gone to the Maitland Jail approximately six years ago and went into the maximum security wing, which has three levels with thin metal walkways in the center of the open space to let guards, etc. walk across the open space rather than having to walk all the way around. I was on my own and not scared. Kind of like what we do. We go in there, we're not scared. Yeah, no. 
I was exploring the ground floor when I heard melodious whistling and walking on one of the upper floors. So I called out, hello, and it stopped. No one answered me. A few minutes later, it happened again. I repeated, hello, and again, got no response. Stopped, no answer again. This happened exactly the same a third time. I continued exploring the jail, got to the exit and said to the two attendants what had happened and that I thought the staff member was rather rude. What if I needed help and they didn't respond? They told me it was just them working that day and there was no one up there because there was no way anyone could get off the ground floor because the heavy, solid iron gates are firmly locked. Oh, wow. So you know what would have been really cool, though, is if she randomly decided to whistle back. Oh. If they kind of communicated that way, that would have been interesting. interesting. Now, obviously, she didn't think it was a ghost. Right. But it's kind of like that idea of where we're like, hey, we're going to knock. Can you knock back? Or, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Then in April this year, I went to Kangaroo Island off Adelaide, South Australia. It was mid-AVO, and I was having a little rest, and I'd place some books I'd brought in the little inbuilt bookcase when some of the books, not all of them, flew out of the bookcase and plonked on the ground. I didn't see the event, but definitely heard it. So I got up, and as I picked my books up, I said, whoever is here with me, you're welcome to stay, but you aren't to do any more of this. And they didn't do any further actions. Hey, at least they were polite. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they didn't like her selection of books. Possibly. Or they were saying, read this one first. <laughs> Could be. If it's me, don't throw more than one book at me because I'm going to be lucky to get one done. Yeah, no kidding. I then continued this holiday by going to Perth and Fremantle. Very early one day, I went to the former Sunshine Old Men's Grounds on the Swan River. My great-grandfather put his dad in there in the 1920s, so I was keen to visit the abandoned facility. The WA government is leasing buildings out and the hope companies will restore and maintain the buildings. People are allowed to walk through the beautiful, tranquil gardens. It was easy to imagine how it might have been like for my great-great-grandfather as I was wandering the grounds on my own early that morning. I smelt that someone very close by was smoking a cigarette, and then two older men began chatting semi-softly to one another. I hadn't heard anyone walk up near to me on the gravel, so I was surprised someone could get so close without me knowing. As I turned to find and see the men, the smoke smell instantly went away and the chattering stopped. I continued exploring. A few minutes later, a window on the first floor loudly slammed shut. There was absolutely no wind or anyone in the buildings because it was the Easter long weekend and it was very early in the morning. There's no way squatters could have gotten in, etc. Huh. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, maybe they were just slamming the window just to let her know. Yeah, you, you did hear us. That was us. <laughs> maybe or they were out for a smoke and then went in and closed the window. Yeah, possibly. Or somebody inside could smell the cigarette smoke too and close the window because they were done with <laughs> they it. They were fed up. <laughs> the next day I went to Fremantle and went on the Fremantle prison history tour in the day and the ghost tour at night. I had two great, great, great grandfathers as convicts who went there, though they never met their children married. Guides were very insistent, don't touch the limestone because it's very fragile. So on the ghost tour, I was at the back of the tour group when something gently but noticeably tapped my left collarbone three times. I turned thinking someone wanted to tell me something or maybe I had accidentally brushed up against the limestone. Absolutely no one was there and I was nowhere near any physical structure. At the end of the tour, I said to the guide, something tapped my left collarbone. He responded, yes, that's been known to happen. So I said, what? You didn't think to tell us that before, and you're only saying something now because I've said something? <laughs> well, you know, if you're a tour guide, you're probably not going to mention stuff like that if you really want people to have a true experience. 
Absolutely. And one of the things I told her is if we do go to Australia, I want her on a ghost hunt with us because clearly she's a ghost magnet. Oh, definitely. That would be awesome. Kind of like you, Kelly. Then you both can get touched (laughs) and all kinds of stuff. Well, you know, when we were at the squirrel cage jail, I had no idea that there were past circumstances where people had had their hair messed with. That's true. I found that out after the fact. That's true. So it's kind of good to not have that information ahead of time, I think. It makes it more legitimate and you're not going to feed into thinking that it's happening, kind of a mind thing. Right. Yeah, because your brain is very powerful, obviously. And apparently here later on in December, she's going to go to Tasmania for two weeks and she's going to go on the Port Arthur day tour and ghost tour. Good grief. She just gets all over the place. I know. So stay tuned. All of your life. (laughs) Maybe she'll have some good stuff to share with us. I hope so. All right. Well, we want to thank all of you for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We'd like to thank Deborah Passy for her one-time donation. Thanks so much for your support. Thanks, Deborah. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.